Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Through the Keyhole. As Peyton and Alan say, and I often forget, then that's my bad. I'm not a good co-host. Um, it is an Oklahoma fan podcast or something of that nature. Oklahoma fan, which I mean, it's a uh, that is a that's a nomenclature that isn't very, I guess, appreciated around here. Because I mean, for one, we've got a Duke fan producing this show. Um, we've got another person here who I'll um, introduce in just a few minutes as today's co-host for the free pod. What's up, freebies and patrons alike. Um, we've got that other person um, shies away from fan, the fan title. So I don't know what this I don't know what this show is considered today, but uh, Peyton and Alan are away. Um, they, they, they went to the store to go get smokes. So they'll be back. They'll be back. Just, you know, they'll be back. Don't, don't anybody worry. They will return either this weekend with some Patreon pods, which you can all go check out. We've been churning out some really awesome shows with some pretty cool guests, um, really off the wall guests, whether they be uh, local journalists, reporters, personalities that you know here in Oklahoma covering OU football. We had a Cal professor on talking about how analytics are actually stupid. And then we've had SEC folk like, hey, welcome. We're we're, uh, we're in the show now. So uh, let us on your shows. And it's been great because most SEC people that we've at least talked to um, on Through the Keyhole, they have uh, they kind of agree agree with us on one big thing, and that is uh, Texas seems very overrated both today and historically, which we can all join hands and sing kumbaya on that one. But like I said, Peyton and Alan are not on today. So I entrusted the help of one Lee Benson from the West of Everest podcast. Lee, what's up? Hey, Brady. Not a whole lot. Thanks for the invite. And this is interesting because I... I listened to this podcast, of course, during the football season with you and Matt, never, ever envisioning that I'd ever be a part of this podcast. And yet here we are. So oh, well, did I just were... give away the other guests? I, I apologize. I oh, the, everybody, everybody knows Matt's producing. Okay. This thing. Matt's Matt just got done talking for three hours on the radio. So he's Hi. his voice is shot. No, it's fine. It's fine. I just. All I did for three hours was talk about uh, banning court storms. So, yeah, uh, I, I, you know, just you to get those out of the way. Far ahead. <laughs> Sorry. No, too far ahead, Matt. That, Sorry. That so, if we could avoid the court, so I just talked about it for three hours. So, you know, 
That'll be the last time you cut into my show, sir. <laughs> <laughs> no, Lee, you were on this podcast, what, a month ago? We watched uh, Baker yeah. Mayfield. We watched Baker Mayfield beat your favorite NFL quarterback in the playoffs. <laughs> yes, Jalen Hurts. Uh, by <laughs> default, he's my favorite NFL quarterback now. That's my punishment for all the bad things I said about him. Or I guess I shouldn't say bad things, but negative things that have turned out to be mostly false. I'm still holding out hope, though, that uh, – I will eventually be proven correct about him, but so far I have not been. And for those who do not know, and I don't know, I don't know if that audience is that big that listens to this podcast, but has never heard of or listened to West of Everest. Lee, you do it with your brother, Grant. Uh, he couldn't join tonight. Cause I asked both of you if we basically wanted to do like a gigantic combination pod, but he he's busy himself. Um, but a few weeks ago, you guys were talking about Jalen hurts and, the uh, Super Bowl got brought up and I'm basically just giving you a shout out for being very consistent in your thoughts and beliefs as it pertains to certain players, because I think Grant had mentioned like, yeah, Jalen Hurts played exceptionally well in the Super Bowl. Um, he played well enough to win. They did not lose because of him. And then you're like, ah, 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 ah. that fumble, that one fumble he had that resulted in a touchdown. It's a pretty huge play. It's a huge play, <laughs> but everything else, uh, Everything else kind of counterbalanced it to the side of Jalen Hurts played really well. I mean, yeah. Dylan Gabriel threw a pick six in Lawrence. That is probably at the bottom of the list of the reasons why OU lost that game, right? Uh, yeah, are, I mean, because it was so early. It was so early in the game, and uh, it'd be, it was a different day because that was the first <laughs> first day, and then the, the weather delay happened, and they, they waited 24 hours, and the next day happened. And so, yeah, it, it just seems so long between that play in the actual final of the game. So yes. Sure. sure. Sometimes good players can make big, 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 big mistakes. But we're going to not try to make a mistake today. But again, if you haven't already, go uh, check out the Patreon page for the more, more, more stuffs that we put on there that we have a fun time putting up for you guys to listen. Patreon.com slash through the keyhole. And um, also, if you're not listening to the radio, you should, uh, especially in Oklahoma. So 107.7, the franchise three to six Monday through Friday, specifically on Mondays at five fifteen. Oh yeah. One, Brady Trantham joins me. Yeah. I'm jumping back into the radio world for just, a, just a toe, just a toe back into the radio sphere. And then of course, West of Everest podcast, anywhere you can listen to podcasts, listen to Lee and Grant do their OU football talk, but let's start off guys. I mean, Matt, you already mentioned the court storming. I was going to open this up with like, let's put a bow on bedlam uh, because I mean, we talk about basketball on this podcast here and there. We might touch on baseball. If they, you know, of course, if they go to another college world series, we will be all over that in the midst of summer. I um, mean, we of course hit up softball because when, when the ladies get rolling, it's fucking awesome to watch. And then they just steamroll everybody. So, I mean, why wouldn't we talk about that? Um, but basketball, you know, it's just, it's kind of hit or miss. And on Saturday, OU women steamrolled OSU in Norman. And then right after that game ended in Stillwater, there was a game played between OU and OSU and the men and I mean, guys, at this point, everyone's kind of had their thoughts and their opinions about it. I mean, Lee, I think you guys have already kind of mentioned or talked about it um, in your latest episode on West of Everest. But I mean, any any new thoughts, any new like, oh, wow, that was kind of cool. Or maybe 
maybe it's turning into a slightly good direction for Porter Moser. Oh shit. They have to play Iowa state on the road and then Houston's coming down. Never mind. It, Lee, I mean, anything at all from that game that really made you go, huh? I kind of like where this is going. Well, yes. In the sense that they started to score points. That was good. Sores uh, did. Yes. Sores did. And then, and then JV McCollum, obviously uh, that shot at the end and even Otega Owe played well. But no, I mean, I, I, I did want to, you know, this has probably been pointed out by a lot of people. You know, I don't f- follow basketball talk as closely as I do football talk. So maybe I'm in the dark, but I, I do think it's worth acknowledging, as we all know, that OU was picked to finish 12th in the Big 12. And right now in the standings, they're seventh. So they're overachieving. Uh, and it, based off of preseason predictions or expectations, and they're probably one win away from feeling pretty darn good about being in the tournament for the first time since that, since that bubble tournament in Indian, in Indianapolis. And so I guess my only, my new thoughts isn't even really new. It's just more of like a, a perspective thing on Porter Moser and his time at Loyola Chicago before he came to Oklahoma. And you know, he was there for a lot of years. And I know that OU and Loyola Chicago are uh, somewhat different schools <laughs> for the most part, but you know, it, it took him until uh, Moser, it took him until his fourth season there at Loyola Chicago to even have a winning season. And it took until year seven to actually make the big dance for the first time. And that's the year that they made that final four run back in 2018. So I guess the question is, if you're going to look through this at a glass half full situation for Oklahoma basketball, what if Oklahoma's actually ahead of schedule based off of Porter Moser's previous track record at Loyola Chicago? And obviously jumping from a mid-major school to the Big 12, which is the best conference in college basketball. Okay, year three, it looks like they're they're knocking on the door of the NCAA tournament. Okay, glass half full. Maybe things are actually going okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's certainly a, a really interesting way to look at it because, and I say interesting just because I have not heard one person that has talked about OU basketball and I'll take a term from your brother in the OU in the OU sports podcast universe. I've not heard one person bring up kind of Porter Moser's career trajectory as a map for what we should expect here at OU. Um, this is a podcast that I think has a good sense of where the expectations should be just in a general year to year basis for OU basketball. We're, we're not football fans throwing our football project our expectations onto the basketball program. Having said that, it's a program that should be in whatever conference they're going to be in. There's no, there's no reason why they shouldn't be in the around the top half of the Big Twelve and of and of course in the SEC for the next you know handful of years. Um, there, there's nothing wrong with that expectation. Now, knowing Porter Moser's kind of trajectory back at his old school, I mean that makes a lot of sense. And I, I think really for me. When you hire a guy like Porter Moser, you're you're trying to hire a guy that ideally is not only successful, but is successful and wants to stay here. Like this is his job. And that's kind of the tricky thing is OU basketball is not necessarily a destination program like OU football is. So in the event that Porter Moser is, you know, destined to kind of follow that same trajectory, but albeit on in a, you know, in a faster pace, like you had mentioned, Lee, at OU. I mean, he's going to get attention from more basketball-centered programs across the country. I mean, he he's already been rumored to – I mean, last year there was a big rumor to Notre Dame, I thought. Uh, DePaul was coming up. Creighton is coming up. 
I mean, he, he's a guy who's well-respected in the sport and especially well-respected by programs that take basketball a little bit more seriously, at least from an administrative and especially a fan support standpoint. Um, ideally, you want to hire a guy to stay here long-term. And Porter Moser is definitely a guy that you want kind of out in front of your program. He's a culture setter. He's shown some, like at least, you know, this season, he's shown the ability to develop some players. Um, if some players are able to remain healthy, Sorez, I mean, Uzon hit some big shots in overtime. I mean, guys have shown some progression that I'm excited for, but um, the sad thing is that you kind of mentioned on it, Lee, is they need to get at least one more win to feel better about themselves. And, Iowa State on the road, Houston and Norman, Cincinnati and Norman. That I don't. That is the absolute must-win game ever that I've ever seen, and it's not a gimme. It's not a guarantee. And then they got Texas and Austin. So these final four games, uh, it's it's just really hard to kind of like look at this team, even after an exciting win in Bedlam uh, with the McCollum shot at the buzzer. It's just really hard to look at this team and and just. I want to know where I should be standing on it, at least for this season, not season to season, not any of that, but can I be happy with this team or can I be disappointed with this, this team? And every time I feel like I've pegged them, they do something different. Um, But Matt, like I'll say this. I think one thing I can safely say they play better on the road. And I wonder why this team (laughs) plays better on the road. They, they, they go through, consistent scoring streaks. They don't go through droughts. Um, they seem to play well when the crowd gives a damn. And if, if, if that comes off as insulting, OU fans, I'm sorry, but so be it. They seem to play better on the road, just at least to my eyes. But I mean, of these final four games, Matt does um, other than Cincinnati, does anything kind of um, jump out to you as there's a chance there because of X, Y, Z matchup. Um, if you if you win in Hilton Coliseum against Iowa State, I mean, and then you they're, go, they're you sweep going to the, the Sweet series, 16. They're going to the Sweet Sixteen. Yeah. No, you sweep the series against Iowa State. I mean, like right now, they're I, I wouldn't say they're on the bubble. Like they are firmly in. I was looking at Joe Lenardi's bracketology. Like they're they're in that eight nine matchup right now. If they get a win somehow at Iowa State, I mean, they are firmly in. Like there's there's no way. I don't think that they don't make the tournament. Uh, Lee, I'm glad that you. Um, kind of just are level-headed about this, about where this is at right now this this year, because you know after their strong start to this non-conference, like everyone r- rightly rightly so, very pumped up, you know, high highly ranked team and all that stuff. And Tyler and I, before Big Twelve season started, we were like, guys, like if they go five hundred in the Big Twelve, that is completely outperforming expectations. Like that is that would be perfect if you just go. What nine and nine? They play eighteen games. Nine and nine in conference—that is a humongous win in this conference. And they sit here seven and seven now. And you know, it's it's crazy. We we were trying to stress that, like, hey, if they go five hundred, that is a huge win. That's a grand slam in this conference. And I, I don't know. As we sit here, like, I I still feel like they've done well for what they have. Right? They do have deficiencies, and you know, they won that game without John Hughley too. I, I mean. Uh, up in Oklahoma State, so I don't know, man. As far as where you should be at with this team, I say just enjoy the ride. Like, I mean, they're not gonna go on a like Final Four, Elite Eight round, or anything like that. Like, where they're at right now, they're probably gonna play like an Arizona in the second round if they get if they win that first round matchup. So, just have fun being back in the dance. And 
the the good thing I think about this OU team is that they are battle tested. I mean, literally game in, game out in the Big Twelve. So they're not going to go up against the Arizona in the second round and be like, oh man, it's Arizona. Like, you know, oh wow, like look out for the Wildcats. No, they're not going in with that mentality. So I I, I kind of like that. The way that Rosvaldo Soares has been playing, I mean, it's a shame that he only has one year left. I, I would He's love their best he player. Had, I know. I would love if he had one year left. All the other transfers have multiple years left. Um, so I, I don't know, man. I just enjoy, enjoy it. I, that's all I'll say. Just enjoy this because they are. I also wanted to reiterate. I've been trying to reiterate, like, go back and watch how bad it was last year. Just go back and remind yourself how bad it was. If Grant Sherfield was on, they might have a chance to win the game. If Grant Sherfield was not on, they had zero chance to win a game. And when, you know, I mean, just fast forward to this year, it's com- it looks completely different. And I, I like the direction it's going. I, I just I I would hold off any hope of making some sort of Matt, like deep March Madness run. Matt, what do you have against the Groves brothers? What are, what have they done to you? <laughs> uh, they've done a lot. They've done a lot to my basketball brain. Um, but no, sorry, your your original question. Sorry about the the next four games coming up. I, I don't think you have much of a chance since Iowa State. I mean, a little chance. I think, I mean, wow, really going out on a limb here that uh, Houston is by far the best team in the country. Um, so I, maybe if you just start hitting shots, hitting threes, and then maybe something happens, but I would expect nothing in the Houston game. Uh, Texas, I will say, has ever since they beat OU in Norman, they've kind of been on a downward slide, Texas has. So that one may be winnable, but again, that's on the road. Who knows? And then, yeah, Cincinnati's a must win. The Spirit Shop has been Norman's source for wine, beer, and spirits since 1976. We feature the biggest selection and best prices in town. Thousands of different wines, beers, spirits, and more. Live in Norman? We deliver all over town, every day, usually in under an hour. Let us bring the party to you. Go to our website and order online at www.thespiritshop.org or give us a call at 405-321-3100. That's 405-321-3100. In from out of town for the game? Come see us at the corner of Main and Barry, just two miles east of I-35. Take the Main Street exit and browse thousands of fine wines and hard-to-find bourbon in store. I mean, yeah, who's the kid from Texas? Is Abe Miss? What was his name? Yeah, Max Aismas. Yeah, as long as you don't let him shoot threes from the from the <laughs> logo in Austin, I mean, it should be fine. And then that one guy that came off the bench, the guy who came off the bench in that Texas game for them, that's who really swung oh, that yeah. game o- open for me, at least for my eyes. But, I mean, just some added context, guys. And we don't have to be, like, don't worry for our non-OU basketball crazy fans. We're, we're moving right along. But just real quick for some context, they're the fourth or fifth best team clear cut in the Big Ten. I, I hesitate to sit, even pull up the Pac-12, what they would be in the Pac-12. And, I, and of course, I know basketball conferences are much different than football conferences. I, mean, I get it. But, you know, the Big 12 is just really good, and there's just not really a good matchup out there for this team. But it's just four more games left, and then Big 12 tournament, and then all bets are off. I think that's when you can really start making some declarations. So that'll be safe to that. Uh, Lee, then, you actually uh, real oh, go quick, ahead, Lee. real quick, like one more glass. I'm, I'm the glass half full kind of guy on this topic that I'm kind of hanging my hat on right now is, <clears throat> excuse me, considering how well Loyola Chicago did the first time they made the tournament with Porter Moser, they made a final four run. 
And then a couple years later, they made another deep run, went to the Elite Eight. Maybe, you know, my thought is, you know, just get Porter Moses for the NCAA tournament and then let's see what it can happen. Maybe yeah. he just turns it on then. And to your point a moment ago, you know, Big 12 is a tough conference. Maybe they play different teams outside the Big 12. Oklahoma can get better matchups and we can have a fun March. That's that's my uh, crimson colored glasses take on the rest of the season. I mean, that's the idea when you hire a coach like him who made like a lot of his like people know his name because of his teams just routinely uh, succeeding in in the tournament. I mean, at least recently in his tenure at Loyola, Loyola, Chicago, which my that's a name that my hick accent cannot say correctly when I first try to say it. So apologies to our listeners in Chicago. I love each and every one of you, all 12 of you. Um, Lee, you mentioned this and I didn't even think about bringing this up. And apparently Matt doesn't want to talk about this, but he's going to have to remind me who's the Duke player who, um, I mean, according to when this happened and it, you know, like you're coming out of a timeout, you go into the uh, studio on ESPN two during the Bedlam game and, um, old Indiana coach, what's his name? Tom Crean. Yeah. Oh, they're yeah. going to say Bobby Knight. <laughs> rest, rip, rest rip in peace. peace. Uh, May he rest Tom, in peace. Yeah, you, you got Tom Crean over here talking on the on the uh, desk with whomever. I'm coming out of a break, and the hushed tones that they use to talk about this Duke player, which what's his name, Matt? Kyle Filipowski. That guy. This guy getting uh, run into, pushed around by a bunch of students from Wake Forest as they stormed the court. I thought that I thought they were trying to prepare the audience for he was hit on the like he was hit by these students he was thrown to the ground he was trampled to death and all of a sudden the next like five minutes later i'm like he has a sprained ankle i'm like what they could have killed him and now isn't it his knee (laughs) i don't want you to put a damper on this okay they could have killed him and and i'm gonna say this this dude this dude and watching the replay in slow motion that over the head shot this dude and I, I get it. There are a bunch of kids running in his direction. So you kind of get a little like defensive, not defensive aggressively, but you get a defensive to protect yourself. This dude from Duke tried to trip the first kid. Like he tried to trip and push him down. And then the other kid who came up behind him pushed him back. Now, none of that should have happened. None of that should have happened. We should all be adults, even when we're storming the court. But I mean, Lee, again, you've, you've, <laughs> you have you have way more broadcast experience than I do, um, which is a hundred percent. I I thought they were gonna tell me that he had died. I thought that I thought that this dude, I was like, oh my god, like we just is this a sports tragedy? Oh no, he, he has a sprained ankle. Is this gonna be a scenario like uh in 2017 where Orlando Brown came out pregame with Baker Mayfield's jersey? <laughs> Are we gonna see Filipowski's and it makes it look like we're all remembering him as the man he was. He'll show his mom uh, in the crowd with like a very strong look on her face. <laughs> yeah. I, so I'm, I'm very pro court storming, but at the same time, if court storming stopped tomorrow, I don't think it would impact my life one way or another. So I'm not going to pound the table for it to stay or anything like that. I think, by the way, is it is it his ankle or is it his knee? Because I've heard now it's and now it's like just kind of bruised and it's not even really much of an injury. Is that fake news or we'll do the hockey I, thing and we'll just call it a leg injury, lower leg injury okay. or That's lower true. body. Yeah, yeah okay. lower body injury. Yeah, well, I got gotcha. you. OK, I just wanted to because uh, 
okay anyways but like i think the more interesting thing to me and by the way did you talk to yourself for three hours earlier matt or did yeah. people actually want to talk about this topic oh people wanted to talk about it no i'm just kidding i forced them to i, I forced oh. them to talk about it <laughs> i can't imagine <laughs> spending three hours on this topic but but a loss i mean my thing is like, all the people out there that have super strong takes about this one way or another and it, and it seems honestly like the super strong takes come from the you gotta ban court storming and and honestly you gotta you gotta go back in time and you gotta use forensic video evidence to then uh, arrest everybody else that's storm courts in the past because that's how bad it is and I, I guess jay billis had a similar kind of take about that about how to stop court storming yawn my, <laughs> <laughs> yawn my, my thing like have all these people and yeah i don't know where you are in this matt but has Jay Billis had have he has he always had these thoughts about storming courts? And if he has, then great. Like, but I'm not aware of it. I just want people to consistently bring these things up if they're super into it. Like more than just whenever it's just happening for us to talk about. Like it's the fourth of July. Basketball's been over with for months. Like, are we gonna get a Jay Billis <laughs> column about <laughs> court storming and how to because if not, then I think he's just doing it just to do it and to kind of virtue signal. And I just I don't like whenever people take the current thing and then get worked up about it just because a Duke guy was minorly injured and you're using kind of one or two instances then to just paint a broad brush throughout the entire thing. So I, if you actually care about something, push for it more than just the time when it's in the news. I'm just kidding. I, I really don't care about the court storming. The health and safety really, really of our don't. players. Really me, me trolling, me as a trolling Duke fan. Yes, I'll, I'll just troll a little bit. Whatever. No, me as it actually, like, I really don't care about it. Like, I mean, it's unfortunate that that happened, but it did. Like Brady said, my my knee jerk reaction was like, oh, they kind of both like braced for impact, and Filipowski like stuck his leg out a little bit. So, I mean, hey, both. Uh, that's a no call for me. Play on. You know, well, I mean, upon review, on. upon review, that would have been a foul. On both, yeah, double technical. That's fine. Yeah, call it good. <laughs> I'm good. No, I, yeah, I get, I get the rules because, like, as a Duke fan, the the rules of court storming are if you get a top ten win at home, or if you beat Duke. So like that, I get the rules of the court storming in college basketball. <laughs> so like, it's okay. I, I completely get it. And I welcome it. God damn, like Matt, we get like OU fans 100%. We get kind of an off-season off of seeing opposing fans rush the court or <laughs> rush the field after they finally beat OU because, I mean, no one's going to rush the court if they beat OU unless they're a top-10 team. Uh, but, man, you've got you to gotta watch OU lose twice and storm the field, and yep. then you have to turn on your Duke glasses. Yep, I know. No, my, uh, Which my buddies... rich private school in the ACC is going to rush the court now? One of my buddies last year before March Madness, he's a huge Carolina fan, and he sent me uh, what I thought was just going to be an innocent video of like greatest moments in college basketball. Like he was like ready for ready for March Madness. Sent me the YouTube video, and the title literally was "Greatest Moments in College Basketball History," and it was a a fifteen minute compilation of Duke losing and the court getting stormed. So. <laughs> yeah, it took me <laughs> took me about thirty seconds to realize what was happening, and uh, it's a great video. I I don't I don't know that much about the uh, the annals of North Carolina failure in basketball, but you could have just found a clip of um, 
Tyler Hansborough trying to out Blake Griffin, Blake Griffin in the Elite <laughs> Eight game. And, and the funny, the funny thing was, is North Carolina was in control of that game from about start to finish, and so you did you didn't need to do this. And he, tr- I remember he tried to like, he tried to like Blake Griffin just throw the ball into the rim <laughs> or into the hoop, and he just completely missed it and just back iron and it, it. And then he had the face of a kid whose parents took the video game controller from their hands after they said, you're done playing and they didn't listen and they just ripped it out of his hands. Cause he, he realized, I mean, my team's going to win, but I mean, I've been sunned and this is not good. <laughs> like there are a lot of people watching this game, but I mean, thoughts and prayers to the Duke kid, you know, thoughts and prayers and whatever. Yeah, and, and to your point, Brady, I mean, you mentioned that it looked like maybe he was trying to trip somebody that I'm all for, you know, if you're a fan that runs onto the court, if a player wants to to hit or like, I'm all for like that fan, you're, you're taking that risk. Go yeah, for beat, it. Same, beat their ass. Yeah, protect <laughs> yeah. yourself. Like, that's the risk you're taking. Uh, same principle as a fan running onto the field of a baseball game or a football game and security always just tackles them and arrests them. So, I mean, that's you go into their their realm and you get beat up. That's on you. But yeah, so just want to yeah. make sure it's it's fair both ways. I mean, basketball players are tall. Like, don't get me wrong. They're very tall. And some of them are very physically imposing. But for the most part, they're very tall. And that's it. They're just skinny. And I can understand why some drunk students might get a little, like, brave around them in that moment. I never understand it with football players. Because not only are they tall, not only are they physically imposing, but they also have fucking body armor on, essentially. Uh, Who was it from when Kansas beat us? There was that video clip of some Kansas fan like shit talking to know you player and they just kind of ignored them. Who was it? Gosh, who was it? No, it was your boy. It was a uh, uh was it Bunkley was it Shelton. LV Bunkley Shelton? Yeah. LVBS? Yeah. He showed the poise that you come to expect at a place like the University of Oklahoma where um we're not used to losing, but when we do, like unfortunately we have to see all this shit happen. But that is my it, boy. I, it, I was it, <laughs> patiently waiting for a breakout season one of these years and it just never came. That's too bad. Him him or the Missouri guy whose name I can't remember. JJ Hester. JJ oh. Hester. Which speaking of Missouri, oh, 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 is it Drinkowitz or Drinkwitz? Like, how do we say this motherfucker's name? Anybody? I believe it's Drinkwitz. Drinkwitz. Okay. The interesting thing about him, and I found this out, I mean, I don't know, a few months ago. I think we were doing a podcast and we were talking about him. Um I just looked him up, clicked on his Wikipedia article. Oh, he was born in Norman, Oklahoma. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. No wonder he has this inferiority complex and and is just essentially writing a program, a secondary institution where um, they have realized if we ever had a chance to do anything, we need to do it now because our window of opportunity is about to be uh, closed shut for probably ever. Uh, OU and Texas are coming to town, so let's let's make some hay right now because it's going to be much, 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 much harder. Um, you know, unfortunately for Missouri and other you know similar secondary institutions that have to rely on a window of opportunity. I mean, OU is a fucking window. We have an opportunity every every year, pretty much. So cool. Drinkowitz apparently said some shite um, in a press conference, which is something that. OU hasn't done in a while, but other coaches, I guess, are giving press conferences. It'd be nice to hear from Brent Menables, have him answer three or four questions in the 45-minute press presser. But I like when Brent talks. 
Um, but yeah, Matt, what exactly did our friend, our our spec- spectacled friend in Missouri say? Uh, I believe it was something about Caden Green saying that he was going to start at left tackle for them, which, I mean, for the amount of money that was allegedly paid, I, I would assume that he would be starting as well. So yeah, it's good. And going to go to tackle. So fair enough. That's where he wanted to play. Um, but he also said that he enjoyed, you know, seeing what people had to say online about Caden Green. And, and that, that's what that feels very pointed. Yeah. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, we play the game. That's why we coach the game is because 22 fans with uh, players or coaches profile pictures on their Twitter accounts are shit talking you. That is why we play the game. So, um, yeah, here's a little peek behind one of those Patreon episodes I had mentioned. Uh, Peyton had a guest on, I believe it, he goes by SEC Mike. And uh, he had asked Peyton, like, hey, so what's all the, every time I've talked about Oklahoma, I've had like a ton of Missouri fans in my mentions or call in or like whatever he had said. Like, is that something from like the old days that I that I'm not too familiar with? And Peyton correctly responded like i mean we've beaten them every year for 100 years outside of a handful of times they're not a rival really to us but recently they have um well they literally took a player from our roster <clears throat> and then they beat us in a recruiting battle for um, a defensive lineman who happens to live in the state that they inhabit so two two players and yeah we'll give him luther burden too you know but again that was under lincoln riley and we we know how seriously he takes recruiting um but really this has just kind of come from very very recent history and it's only just because of some petty bullshit talk but lee um what what have your what have your overall thoughts been about missouri the last handful of years Whenever you think about SEC football, where is Missouri in that kind of when you're bullet pointing in your mind? Like, where does Missouri fall under that? Grinkowitz, is this a coach that you respect? Is this a program that you respect? Um, Last year, all the things that they did last year that are good. Does anything about that, anything about all those questions I just asked you, make OU Missouri be an exciting game to you? Or is it simply just only exciting because of the petty bullshit going back and forth between, I guess, a few fans on Twitter and uh, the Missouri coach Drinkwitz dude? Well, this, I mean, once the game actually gets here, we'll decide if it's exciting or not because Twitter back and forth is certainly not going to move the needle one way or another with me. Uh, as far as Missouri goes, I mean, I haven't really thought much about them since Chase Daniels there. Uh, and to be fair, I mean, that's when they were competitive with Oklahoma and Oklahoma was still beating them. And then I, I do kind of think fondly about Missouri when they moved to the SEC, because I did like how they were kind of an also ran. Eh, that's not true. That's not fair. I mean, they were obviously playing for big 12 titles in the big 12 uh, somewhat, eh, not consistently, but they were up there before they moved on. So they, they weren't a bad team, but they were, I mean, I guess them and A&M were, they were above A&M point being, they go to the SEC and they make the SEC title game. What? two or three of the first couple years they're there. Uh, granted, that's back when the East was not that great in the SEC, but I kind of thought that was fun that Missouri, who was not really much of a threat in the Big 12, goes to the SEC and they're immediately making the SEC title game. And then that sense has obviously dropped off. And I was very surprised by how well they played this past season. As far as Drinkwitz go, I, from what I know, I, I, I'm familiar with, uh, I have a, a co-worker that 
uh, has a, had a son that's played for him, and he's a big-time player's coach. Everyone likes him. And then he has a great season like this year, and you think, okay, well, things are looking up for Missouri. And then this offseason, they're kind of going all in. Obviously, they're one of the teams that seems like an NIL and the collectives. They're trying to spend a bunch of money, and they're trying to strike while the iron is hot. You don't blame them. Is it going to work out for them? I don't know. I, don't, I still don't know if they really have enough. I mean, I'm kind of surprised by how decent offensively they were. Luther Bird is a big part of that. Theo Weiss. <laughs> Shout out. Surprisingly as well. And he's com- he's coming back. He wants he wants to try to torch Billy Bowman okay. and friends. It's going to it's going to be fun. But I mean, certainly I don't I don't think much about Missouri. I, I think Drinkwitz probably I thought he was going to be kind of on the way out if he had another mediocre season this past year. He was a guy that was probably close to being fired, but then he had a great season and now it looks like it's going up. So they could work, you know, very well be good again in 2020 four and beat Oklahoma but at this time I you know it is what it is they got Caden Green they allegedly paid him more money the collectives and that's just kind of the way it is now and if it works out for him great if not then uh well it's going to be Missouri and they're probably going to fall back off kind of the way they they normally have been in, in their history yeah I'll give you 67 reasons why you probably don't think about Missouri that much Lee back in back in August so this is like right at right before OU season opener last year. Um, I I was apparently mad at Missouri. I think this is around the time where we started to understand that the williams Winery thing was not going to go in OU's direction. So I just wanted to remind people of what Missouri was um, because it's been a while since they've been in our conference in the Big 12. So um, OU is 67 and 24 and five over Missouri. So, I mean, they've beaten us four more times than OSU has beaten us, but We've also not played them as much as we've played OSU, but it's essentially kind of the same. It's essentially kind of the same thing. Um, you know, you'd mentioned like, yeah, they're a little bit above AM. To me, because of the old how the old divisions were run, you know, classically, ideally we'd always wanted to play Nebraska, but as OU started to rise in the early 2000s, Nebraska just fell off like a rock. So the thorn in our side ever since, you know, Bob Stoops came here and even, you know, well after he's been retired was Kansas State. Missouri was never Kansas State to me. They were never a team that I was truly afraid of. Like, they're going to outcoach us. They're going to do something weird. They're going to have some five foot six running back that just shreds us. They had Jeremy Macklin and it didn't really matter. And they beat us in 2010, but th- we had Landry Jones and that's going to happen. Um, let's see. OSU was 24 and 29 over Missouri. Um, so they had a losing record against Missouri, I should say. Colorado, uh, also a losing record, 31-41. Uh, Kansas, 54-57, um, losing record to Missouri, but that's a rivalry game. Kansas State, 33-60 and 60 against Missouri. Iowa State, 34-61. and 61. Texas, 18-6. and six. And then you get to A&M, um, which had a 9-7 and seven record over them. And then Missouri also was... Bad down against Texas Tech three to six, Baylor four to ten. Okay. So yeah, they're just right smack dab in the middle of the old Big 12. And they've had some success in the SEC. It's a game on OU schedule, though. So cool. Look forward to it. Matt, you talked about this on the radio, right? Uh we we hit on it just a little bit. But I are the people that you know uh, not not really. I think they're just kind of over hearing about Missouri and Eli Drinkwitz, to be honest, the the moment that I was out on him, like completely out on Eli Drinkwitz was this year. 
because again, like like Lee mentioned, I thought, oh, he's probably going to get fired soon. So like, what? Why do I need to really think about this guy? Uh, the win against Tennessee this year, thirty six to seven, they get the win over Josh Heupel and company. Uh, there was audio though of him shaking hands with Josh Heupel after the game, in which he says, "We stand on business, Josh." What? Like, what a fucking dork. Like, what kind of dork are you that you have to say that? Which, by the way, uh, the two previous times that Eli Drinkwitz has taken on Josh Heupel in Tennessee, uh, the year before, Tennessee won 66-24. to 24. The year before that, Tennessee won 62-24. to 24. I didn't hear him say that then. I didn't hear him saying, talking tough and doing all this stuff whenever well, he, he was getting beat by 40. He looks like somebody who probably has seven kids. Um, derive from that what you will. But I'm going to bet that he heard one of his seven kids say, I stand on business. And he thought, I'm going to use that. And then he waited on business didn't exist. Those other games. So Right, yeah, true. Yeah. That's true. That's, that's what was in what was in then? Like, I don't know, Riz I, or like no cap. We we and, don't and cap Brady, over he, here. He heard Josh. his entire team say that. Like every that's the I guess that's the the youths. Stay, uh, we, which we need to we need to define man. what players coach means because i mean you, you just you said that you have what a friend who's ha- has a son that played from for him at Missouri yeah they all love something. him yeah okay so if he's a player's coach i hear lincoln riley be described as a player's coach those two are not the same human beings they're not the same coaches they, they coach they, they couldn't be further apart to me but I mean, Lincoln Riley is a dork in a different way. This guy, this guy is just a dork by appearance and apparently by the things that he says. Because Josh Heupel is—I don't know how you could be drier than Bob Stoops. I mean, the coach, not the human being. <laughs> but Josh Heupel somehow accomplishes this feat. I can only imagine. I mean, <laughs> what did his face look like, Matt? Was this a uh, video clip? It- it was a video clip. I'll try to I'll try to find it and send it to you. But um, it was that. it was kind of like a passing by, like it was a quick like handshake, and he like said, "I don't even think Hypo was even like paying attention to him." But I'm just like, what? What kind of a douchebag do you need to be to say that to somebody who just? Oh, by the way, the two years previous, absolutely whipped your ass on the football field. Like, uh, hey, start talking tough when stuff's going well. That hey, that's. Good for you, man. When when stuff's really going your way, that's when you finally start to puff your chest up. But when you were going five and five and six and seven every year, I didn't hear a peep. Yeah, I mean, Missouri scheduled this year, twenty twenty four, because I the thing was people knew before the season started last year that hey, if Eli didn't win a lot of games this year, then he, yeah, he's gone and. Some of that was because they he hadn't won a lot of games in his what first two or three seasons at Missouri, so he was, you know, getting to that point where it's like either shit or get out the pot. But also because kind of like OU was in this kind of the same boat as this with Brent Venables last year. If you don't win a lot of games with this schedule, then something is wrong. Like you are just not destined to be a good coach at all. And you know now Missouri's you know, like. Boston College in the non-conference that that could, I mean they usually have a good defense. They Their schedule tend, is cake this year. Missouri's is Missouri, yeah. You know, at Texas A and M for an at, SEC schedule, yeah, it's yeah. At A and M at Bama, yeah, their road games are 
that's that's some bullshit. <laughs> and then their battle, their their battle line rivalry. Okay, Arkansas, man. Whew. that is uh, yeah, that's some fortuitousness. Good for them. And by the but... way, Drinkwitz, the first three seasons at Missouri, five wins, six wins, six wins. So yeah, he was a uh, another six and seven or five and you know away from probably getting fired, right? Uh, and Od- yeah, Odom was there before him, right, for two or three I years. So yeah, and that was that was Heupel's head coach when he was the OC, I believe. Yeah, um, <clears throat> Missouri is just a they're a program that. They should always have some good base talent because they've got St. Louis, they've got Kansas City right in their backyard. They've got good markets that they can derive talent from. And they apparently have boosters out the wazoo that whenever they get in line, they can help buy players literally. So good for them. But it's pretty shallow after that because that, you know, whatever. Brady Cook at quarterback does not frighten me whatsoever, but you know, neither did Blaine Gabbert. And he beat beat OU, but I think, I mean, Chase Daniel is Landry probably, Jones, right? Yeah, it was Landry. Of course it was. So, yeah. I mean, is Chase Daniel better than Blaine Gabbert? Is Blaine Gabbert still in the league? I think they both, well, Daniel's not, but yeah, I think Gabbert is. I mean, Chase Actually. Daniel was a, Chase Daniel was a backup forever. Is, I think he's Gabbert's, been retired for like a year, right? Was yeah. Gabbert Mahomes' backup this year? In Kansas he was, City? Maybe. He was Tom Brady's backup, right? In Tampa, I think. Huh. That sounds right. Yeah. Chase Daniel, Chase Daniel also got a Super Bowl in New Orleans. Man, just riding coattails. Missouri football. It is what it is. But Missouri's schedule, pretty cake. You know, pretty manageable. If OU had that schedule, I think we'd all have a much different um, opinion about this next topic, which is... Um, some Vegas thing. Lee knows it. I don't know these things. Win loss projections. OU seven point five or six and a half. Six and a half, seven and a half. My question to you guys, uh, Lee, I'll start with you. My question to you is if you just say like OU is projected to win six games, like over over under. If you just say that randomly without any added context and you have no idea what's going on, you just woke up from a coma, like, yeah, you're gonna get a little peeved. But when you add to that, okay, it's their first year in the SEC. Okay, not only is it their first year in the SEC, but their schedule is probably outside of Florida is the hardest fucking schedule in the in the country. And then they have a gigantic question mark on offensive line, and not just because of one or two positions, but because of the entire unit. Because while we know Jacob Sexton is pretty good, while we think um, some of these transfers can just slide in and play, we have no idea how they're going to perform as a unit. Because that's like the final test. Like, yeah, individually, these guys are great, but these two guys don't play well together. So we're going to find that out. And then you also have a quarterback who's going to be making his first start in terms of going into the offseason as QB1. And while we are excited about Jackson Arnold, there's still a lot of question marks that he needs to answer and answer emphatically and answer them very quickly. So when you add all that context to it, it's like, yeah, if they win eight or nine games, that means they're pretty damn good and things are going in the proper direction. So obviously, logically, if they win seven games, it's like, I mean, yeah, the schedule's tough and they had all these deficiencies on the roster that they're answering via recruiting, which is really good. So when you see that, Lee, are you 
one of the many people in the chorus of like, how dare you Las Vegas? Or are you like, well, yeah. Like, what do you expect? Yeah. I mean, I think uh, whenever that schedule first came out, OU schedule Grant and I on our podcast, we projected that the season win total for OU would probably be eight, eight and a half somewhere in there. And this is still really early. I think it was just FanDuel that's that's released it. And normally these win totals come out, you know, May, June. That's kind of like where most books put it out. So who knows by the time we get there, maybe it'll tick up to eight. Uh, but the fact that it's seven and a half, and I know some people said that it opened at six and a half, which if it did, it was bought up immediately to seven and a half. So uh, for whatever that's worth. But you look at the schedule, everyone knows the schedule is super difficult. And it just makes sense. I know we talked about it in our last podcast, the uh, Bill Connolly SP plus winner projections is SP, you know, his rankings and um, OU's 14th in that, which is great. But the problem is, is that OU plays, I believe, let's see, let's count this uh, one, two, three, four, five, six teams that are ranked in the top 15 of his projections. So there you go. I mean, that's half their schedules against potentially top 15 teams in college football. So I'd like to meet the OU fan out there of which maybe there's some, I don't know that are going into this season, just the same way Oklahoma fans have gone to every season for the last generation thinking, yeah, 10 wins is expected minimum, but conference title. And uh, let's, let's go to the playoff. I, I'd like to meet that person that seriously thinks that's something that should be expected because you laid out all the reasons why Oklahoma should be potentially skeptical of this season. It, it makes sense. It all comes down, though, to Jackson Arnold. If he's really good, then you feel pretty good about Oklahoma going over that seven and a half and maybe even getting up to you know nine. Heck, let's, let's get crazy. Get double-digit win territory. If that's the case this season with this schedule, you're throwing a parade, man. I mean, Brent Venables is going in the right direction. Jackson Arnold's probably really good. And we're going great. But, I mean, if you, you go seven and five with the schedule, and I guess we got to see how it plays out, obviously. But I, that, that's what the projection is. It's seven and a half. Yeah. I mean, that would be just slightly below expectation right now based on one number we've seen. Yeah, and I think this is also kind of something that I've been thinking about the last few days is one thing that the transfer portal has done is it's made – like this time of year, when you start think, like projecting, like you've seen the new schedule, you've seen it for a few months, and you probably don't want to make rash predict predictions right after it comes out because that's a little silly. But once the season is ended, once we're like a month in the rearview mirror from it, you start to kind of make some early projections. And then when you, you just can't help but look at the schedule and you see some teams that have just filled it with players via the portal. So Ole Miss is, you know, the perfect example because they're adding players that have proven something in college. I think we just all even more so than Texas is replacing all their good players that we watched last year with guys that they recruited that are highly like high that were highly touted and they're Texas. So we're going to assume that they're good more so than that, like put that on steroids. That's what the transfer portal does. So you can't help but look at a team like Ole Miss and think, man, I don't know how OU stacks up against that right now with their question marks. Now, four or five games into the season, we could be watching OU and thinking, man, the offensive line is incredible. And then you change your, your mind the further into the season that you get because you've also seen four or five games of Ole Miss. But the thing about the portal is, is it seems like the new additions 
it's much easier to just transfer like their individual production and just add it to the team overall production that is Ole Miss. So that means, oh my God, they're going to be good. But again, we have no idea how some of these guys are going to fare. We've seen, I mean, OU has seen players come in with some transfer hype, um, with a lot of transfer hype and with none. And the results from those two, um, three types of players have varied all over the map. Like it's just so hard to transplant somebody from a different program and expect them to do the same shit, if not more at a place like OU. And so that rule applies to everybody else. So, I mean, Matt, when you look at OU schedule, I mean, is do you just kind of look at that number seven and a half and go like, yeah, if they win eight games, I can see myself being on the radio going like, guys, this is good because they're still probably at that point, they're probably still maintaining a top 10, top eight, top, you know, six, hopefully um, recruiting um, nationally speaking. And if you're in that boat, you're in the top four, you know, in conference recruiting. So if they win eight games and, you know, even nine or 10, like, but let's just say eight, if they win eight games and therefore hit the over, it's like, guys, this is, this is good. I know eight wins is not something that you smile at at the university of Oklahoma, but in year one in the soft launch of the sec, like guys, like this is why yeah. you, you were not projected that highly, but you guys answered it emphatically. So you should be happy. Yeah. I think this is the, um, this is the year of adjusting expectations. I feel like just like, it's, it's not the big 12 anymore. I, I know like we've been trying to do our best to be like, Hey, sec, especially with this schedule, it's a different, different beast, but, um, and it's going to be very hard to convince you know, the diehard OU fans that eight wins this year is a really good job. Like that, that they did a very good job winning eight games. It's going to be just because on the surface, OU winning eight games, that's just not up to snuff basically, but it's just perspective matters. And I feel like I've, I've, I've kind of given up on the idea of changing any, or like forcing a perspective onto somebody like onto a fan, because some, some people is just going to be, impossible if OU doesn't go undefeated then it's a failure to that and I just can't like I just can't deal with those people there's no reasoning with that with them um but I, I'm with you it's just still like to me not surprising to see oh it's just a little bit jarring to seeing an over under win total of seven and a half definitely going into an OU football season I think again not surprising just a little bit like oh wow like man yeah this really is going to be something else but yeah I think that's that's going to be maybe the main struggle at least day to day throughout the year of, you know, talking about this and being like, listen, eight wins is going to be a really good job. Like I think Brent would do a hell of a job if they win eight, eight games this year. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, the weird thing to me is, I mean, it, it doesn't matter what, I mean, Missouri could be in Norman and that would still be a game that at this point right now, like, eh, it's up there. Ole Miss can be in Norman and I'd be like, uh, I don't know. So I don't know if you guys did this, so I'll go ahead and go first to give you guys a chance to like quickly pretend like you did. But, um, I went ahead and tried to tier OU schedule. And I have very weird subheadings. I have very weird categories for this, but it made sense in my head when I wrote it down. So I'll just explain it as thus. So the bottom tier of OU schedule, the, like I've titled this as these games are unforgivable if you'll lose them. The next one are, you know, just should wins. Like at this point, as it stands, even with the question marks and even with what we don't know about these opponents, 
I think I would probably pick OU to win them. If you guys asked me to write a season prediction thread right now, I would say, yeah, these games are should wins. The uh, third one is going to be great chance to win. And I only titled it that way because I'm an OU fan and OU should always have a great chance to win. And then the elite tier are going to be the tough ones to win. Like, I just don't see it. So if you guys need a refresher for me, it's unforgivable if lost, should win, great chance to win, and toughest to win. So I'll start at the bottom with the unforgivables, and it should be really easy. Temple, Houston, Tulane, and Maine. But having said that, Houston is a Power 5 program. They gave Texas a tough game last year, a game that they should have won. Um, but this is in Norman, so, oh, you should definitely win it. But, I mean, was what's his name? Willie Fritz, the old Tulane head coach. He's a good coach. We've seen that in person a few years ago when they came to town and almost beat Lincoln Riley. So that is nothing to sneeze at. And then Tulane has a pretty good receiving core. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if I should say headlined by, but our old friend Mario Williams is in that secondary and Lee, um, this is something you and I've talked about a few times. That's going to be a really good early test for the secondary because that's, that's as excited as we are about the defense. They still need to basically show that, no, we can shut the passing game down and not oh. get picked apart. So uh, that'll be a good test. So for Tulane, but um, yes, as a refresher, Temple, Houston, Tulane, and then Maine. Those are my unforgivables if lost. Um, did you guys just basically use my tiers or did you make your own? Well, I certainly made my own uh, hours ago. Definitely <laughs> not right now as you were talking. Hell yeah. I would imagine, I would, actually... I would imagine real quick though, I'd imagine those four games are all in that bottom tier, right? Actually, no, I, I only have Temple, Tulane, and Maine in the unforgivable losses. I, I think Houston deserves to be up at the, at the should win, uh, mainly because it is power five and Willie Fritz is a good coach. And I'm not going to just mark it as a, it should be. Uh, it's, I mean, they're going to have to have that considering they, their schedule is so tough, but right now I'm not going to say it's unforgivable loss. I mean, I'm going to give Houston a little more respect than that, but other than that, I mean, in the should win, aside from Houston, I got South Carolina, but that's it. <laughs> so that's five <laughs> total games. And so that's seven, you know, seven in what the, uh, the next two categories, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I'll go ahead and let, I'll let Matt jump in. Cause I don't want to steal the whole thunder. Yeah. I got two in the unforgivable losses with Goodness. temple, temple and Tulane. Uh, Maine is the, everyone gets fired on the spot tier. If you lose, <laughs> Uh, so that one's at the very, very execute yeah. everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Everyone gets fired on the spot. If you lose to Maine, that's its own tier at the very bottom. Uh, and then, yeah, I, I think I'm kind of with Lee about the Houston, like should win uh, Temple and Tulane, the unforgivable if lost tier, as you uh, coined it. I think I'm, I think I'm with you on, on all the other ones, like the great chance to win. Ole Miss is that, that, you just really don't know because they just added a ton on the portal and it looks really good on paper and they performed well in the bowl game and all that stuff. You just, I just don't really want to put them on that like toughest to win tier yeah. yet, but they're, they're like, they would be the next up on that toughest to win tier. Yeah. No on, I mean, Lee, you said you had a, what South Carolina on the should win. Um, yeah, along along with Houston, like I'll I'll I'll, ple I'll plead ignorance. I'll admit ignorance when it comes to Houston. So if we've have if we have somebody that knows a lot about the Houston program, I'm sorry. Um, I'll just say this: if he, if we were playing Houston on the road, 
um, in a place where, like I mentioned, they almost beat Texas and they should have beat the dog shit out of OSU if they didn't just collapse in what that fourth quarter. Um, if we were playing them on the road, I might bump them off the bottom tier and put them in the should win. Like, eh, you know, it's power five and it's on the road, but you know, we're playing them in Norman. So I'm going to give OU the benefit of the doubt on that one. Uh, but in addition to South Carolina for should win, and maybe this is like the big OU fan coming out in me, I'm going to put Tennessee and Auburn on there and I'm putting Tennessee in there because it's OU's first game in the SEC and I can just see a scenario where, because I've seen seasons like this before, where they go through their non-conference and then they win like a big early season game in like the end of September, beginning of October, four and zero, and everything's looking great. And then it and then it becomes the 2014 season, or then it becomes the 2009 season, where it's just oh, it's going to be one of those years where wins are going to be like pretty infrequent compared to what we're used to, but. First SEC game, big time environment. I'm going to assume in Norman, you want to have a good showing. I have no idea what Tennessee's really going to be like. I mean, they weren't particularly good last year. Their defense was meh. I know they've got a really good defensive line, but come on, Jackson Arnold, don't make me look stupid. And then you've got on the road at Auburn. That's kind of like Tennessee on steroids to me, where it's like they were, I mean, they were worse than Tennessee last year. I have no idea what they're projected to be like this year. Hugh Freeze is a good coach, but they were not good at all last year. So this early in the season, hopefully that kind of stench is still on them so that, oh, you can get a much needed early season win. And then South Carolina. I mean, I I wanted to, I actually wanted to put them in the bottom tier, but I'm like, got to show respect to our new conference brethren. So, yeah. So that's all your should win. Those are all my should wins. And then you get into like the great chances to win, which is Ole Miss and Missouri. And then everybody can kind of do the math from there. Bama, LSU, and Texas on the tough to win at this point. Huh. I got to say, my list that I put together most assuredly uh, hours and hours ago (laughs) is quite different than yours. Because, and go ahead. I was going to say, like, let's see, Tennessee, Auburn, South Carolina, so three, four, five, six, seven. If they simply only won the games in the bottom two tiers, like, to me, on paper, as it stands right now, the ease, the ones that I would pick OU to win, they went, they're seven, like, they, they're a seven-win team. Okay. And, and then that, you just, that makes it, sense. And then you just hope that of the remaining games, they win maybe one or two, and then you're talking about a pretty good season that everyone would be kind of satisfied with. And if you win nine games, if you win two extra ones, then you could be backdooring as a lower seed into the playoff, depending on who wins, who you beat and who loses. So, um, I mean, what, what did you, uh, what did you disagree with? So I think you made a good argument with Tennessee. So I have Tennessee in the great chance to win category, but I think your, your argument makes sense. First sec game, home game. I get it. I, I think it's, it's, Reasonable to put it in the should win category. Uh, but I I have it in the great chance to win. And I have that's actually my biggest category is the great chance to win. Whereas uh, the tough to win category, I only have two games in there because I'm giving Oklahoma the benefit of the doubt that they certainly can win a lot of these games. I mean, they can win all yeah. of them. I mean, it's Oklahoma, but like I'm, I'm not going to. And here's the reason. So I, I got Tennessee and the great chance to win just mainly because it. I think Tennessee, that quarterback could be pretty good. 
but again, I think your argument's pretty solid. So I Tennessee's like probably like on the borderline for me, like great chance and should win. I think it's kind of in the middle there, but for me, Missouri is in the great chance on the road. Uh, Ole Miss is in there. Great chance to win. Uh, I got Alabama in there just considering it's, it's Alabama. It's going to be a home game for Oklahoma. And it's going to be one of the few times ever where it's like the team Oklahoma's playing is like, okay, that they're kind of bigger than OU in a way. And, OU's kind of the underdog. And then also having the great chance to win category, Texas, because it's a rivalry game, and they just beat them last year. Uh, and t- the tough-to-win category, and this is kind of where it's going to go crazy because there's one team you probably you haven't heard yet. I got, I got, I got LSU in the tough-to-win. LSU's probably going to be a night game. Night game at LSU, it's just it's difficult. I, I can see that being really hard. And the, the most controversial one I have, I have Auburn in the tough-to-win category. Very, very bottom because of the, the environment, because of the environment Ooh. and given the situation that you laid out, let's say they beat Tennessee coming off their first SEC win a week later, going on the road at Auburn, who was much better at home last season under Hugh Freeze. That's true. And it's going to be a night game. I was checking out the schedule uh, that week in the SEC. It's, it's going to be a night game. It's going to be under the lights. It's, it's going to be a scenario where it could be a letdown situation coming off their first SEC win in a scenario where Auburn's like, huh, we're going to get Oklahoma now at home. Here's the real SEC. I actually have Auburn in the, the latter category. Just kind of, I mean, it might be crazy, but just to be different, I'm throwing Auburn down there. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a good way to look at it. And I'm just now kind of realizing I can definitely see this headline. I can see this shit talk on Twitter where OU's, you know, three and zero after the non-conference and then they beat Tennessee and then, you know, OU fans, I mean, I'll probably be on the podcast too, going like, hell yeah, we just did that shit. Like we expected to like, we're not some little program. That's like, we can play with the big boys too. No, we are the big boys. And then you lose to Auburn the next week. And that's what the sec is, is classically you play Tennessee in September and non-conference. You have another tune up game. Then you have a weak little big 12 program you have to play. And then you've got Texas. So you've got some time to kind of strategize and game plan and manage some depth issues and some injuries. You play Tennessee and you play your, play your hearts out. You win a big game, you know, big environment. That's a classic letdown on the road and probably the second hardest, like more maybe second or third Georgia, I'm just I'm thinking about this historically. Is Auburn a tougher place to play than Georgia? Because I know people would probably say Georgia because of the, of how good they are now. But Jordan Hare is always a, an, a, an environment I've always heard of, even when they're bad. And by the way, one of the SEC guys, it's it's Jordan Hare. Jordan. Yeah, I got that wrong when I was covering A and M. All the people were calling it Jordan Hare. I was like, what is this? You can't read? <laughs> no, that's what they. They pronounce it Jordan. I guess like, technically they Jordan is pronounced differently in Auburn, Alabama. These silly Confederate chickens, I tell you. The one thing great. I'm looking forward to to see this season is because Oklahoma's not going to be in a conference where they're automatically like head and shoulders above everyone except, you know, like Texas, right? Does that just is that just going to eliminate the one like unspeakable like how the hell did OU just lose that game every year? Is does that just eliminate that? No, they'll be what, that's what six I'm, and, 
They'll yeah. be six and zero and lose to South Carolina. And still, yeah, right. <laughs> this, still this, shit, okay. this shit continues no matter what. I just my needed friends. to know if that if that carries over from the Big Twelve to the SEC. That's all I'm looking for this year. Well, we're gonna be like, wait, guys, we've prepared for this. We we've done this before. It's okay. We'll get through this. I mean, that, that's what the SEC is, though. Um, it's not just the individual program that you're playing that day. It's knowing that you have to play somebody else the next week that's just as talented or or poses a similar level of challenge that the previous one did. I mean, Texas has the most exaggerated version of this problem because they play us and then they play Georgia the next week. So, I mean, while our schedule is much tougher than theirs, that's that's something that I would look at and go, that is an absolute landmine that could that could derail their season. You know, they, they could beat us, but we know how emotional that game is. And then Georgia could just skull fuck them into the Stone Age and remind them of who they are. And, you know, maybe they don't recover from that. Who knows? But, yeah. Um, What's the rest of Matt's list? Oh, mine was pretty similar to, uh, to Brady's. I think toughest to win. Yeah, I think. Well... I mean, you bring up a good point, Lee. So I, I'll have the toughest to win as Bama and LSU. I'll just, I'll go name there. You know, I'll go, I'll go kind of chalk there. Uh, but yeah, I'll put Texas back in the great chance to win. I mean, we've all seen how crazy and nuts that game can be. I, I mean, so I'll put that one there. I, I just, man. Oh, I I'll think keep, they're. I'll, I'll keep saying this because I guess you guys disagree with me, but. And I know I've been proven wrong in recent OU Texas games, but I don't like first year starting quarterback going into that game against a quarterback with experience. Like that is 99 times out of a hundred always gone the way of the experienced guy. But I mean, Spencer Rattler won his first one. Caleb Williams came off the bench and won one. Uh, Dylan Gabriel technically won his first one, but he was in the environment, albeit in the luxury box with a headache in his first year with the Sooners. So there've been some caveats. Texas is getting way too much love, man. I, I mean, I get it. That's true. They return the quarterback. I've, I've just, I've seen this movie too many times before in my lifetime with Texas. Lee, where is this Texas hype coming from other than they are Texas? Because just from a, a depth standpoint and a talent standpoint of what they lost. And I know they got a lot of guys coming back, but if you're going to, if you're going to be a national pundit guy, let's say that you're a bald guy with a YouTube show and you're sitting there and you're saying like, there are some question marks on the offensive line at OU. I agree. How come that same logic is not applied to Texas who lost like everything that made them good, especially on defense. I'd say, see, that's the thing is I haven't been keeping up with, their roster turnover, especially on defense. I know they're losing sweat. Uh, so are, are they losing most of the defensive pl- production? Because if that's the case, that's, that's I mean, they're losing, their, they're losing their top three defensive tackles. All three of them. Oh, wow. Yeah. See, I didn't, it tells you how much I pay attention to this kind of stuff. I I, I mean, I, I just know I knew sweat was gone. I know that they're they're losing uh, some of the receiver help, but they got Bond from Alabama and they got their quarterback returning. And I mean, Quinn yours is a really good player. Uh, they're He's a good college player. I don't, I don't know how much he's I don't know if he's going to be a, a great NFL guy, but I, I like him a lot, but he's kind of inconsistent. So I think it's a lot quarterback and their schedule. Their schedule is is a little bit more manageable, I think, than Oklahoma's and compared to a lot of the SEC teams. But uh, I'm probably the wrong person to ask at this point about Texas because I 
mattress broke news to me. I didn't even know they lost all their defensive linemen or their defensive tackles. <laughs> but I mean, the recruiting's been pretty good, right? So that's in their portal. So I'm sure they've probably reloaded and maybe that's what's all coming from. And it's just, you're going to get hype anyways, because it's Texas and, and they actually had a good season. They made the playoff. So I mean, they'll just kind of transition in the next year. They're going to live off of beating Michigan because they get them early. I don't, who does Michigan play in their first week? Some bullshit team, Fresno State and then Texas. I mean, Michigan's going to be fringe top 10 just because they lost I said way the too other much. day. I think Texas wins that by double digits. Yeah. And they're going to live off that one. Yep. Because it's going to be, well, Texas beat a top 10 team on, on the road. And you're going to hear that in late October and early November. And they're never going to specify what what team they're referring to. But what they're referring to is, oh, they beat six and five Michigan when they were one and oh and living off their recently won national title before we knew how bad they were this season. So, I mean, that's good. I mean, OU plays Michigan the next like next season or not next season, but in 2025 in Norman. So Michigan sent 18 guys to the NFL combine. They sent 18 guys to the NFL. Like I just, and the Keon Sab kid transferred out. Like, I mean, and Texas, Texas weirdly plays really well in the big time, like marquee non-conference matchups, especially here lately. Yeah. Yeah. I still can't believe that they played LSU that close with Joe Burrow, but that, that was literally the game that kind of turned that team on. From that point, from that point on, like LSU just ran through college football like a hot knife through butter, and unfortunately, we were in the way. And uh, Lee, do you have any uh, thoughts from that game? Do you have any memories? Um, did you ever like rewatch a particular player over and over again for uh, an off-season podcast project? Did, <laughs> nah, did that player maybe make a memorable play in this game against LSU? Literally the dumbest football play <laughs> I've ever seen in the history of football. One yeah. Brendan Radley Hiles. Were you there, like, or were you were you in Oklahoma? No, City? no, I, I had to be back at News Nine. I that's a, the. I mean, I, I love my job at News Nine. It was great working there. But the downside to my job is I was always the guy back in studio anchoring, and all these road games. Uh, and that changed my last year. Last year, I guess two years ago now, twenty twenty two, I did get the chance to go with Dean to all the the road games. But of course, that was a twenty twenty two season. <laughs> Venables' first year, and I got to see in person. Uh, two of the worst games they've played in years, the TCU game and the Texas game. Yeah. Like, it was awful. <laughs> so, so basically you were the, for sports, you were like the news nine, David Payne and Dean was the Val caster, like out, out in the field. <laughs> and you wanted to be Val caster. That's yes. I I'm, I'm not quite sure if I understand the analogy, but sure. We'll go with it. Well, <laughs> fair enough. Now, I mean, but yes, I did do a rewatch of all of uh, Brendan Radley Hiles' plays for like three years, and that was a long summer. That was a long podcast. If you ever want to listen to it, you can go back and find it. I, I couldn't tell you what episode it was in the West of Everest podcast, but we broke down, and I could definitively tell you whether or not he was good, bad, or indifferent. Oh, yeah. I remember how you tiered it. That was cool. <laughs> no. It's such a shame because I, I remember like being so infatuated with He's like one of the first players that I could tell he diagnosed that pre-snap because he watched it on film. Like, I think the 2019 Texas game, there were like three or four plays that he just completely found out before Sam Ellinger snapped the ball and he like pointed somebody in the direction, like it's going this way. And sure enough, the play went that way and oh, you stopped it behind the line of scrimmage. And I'm just like, God dang. 
can he be a can he be just a player assistant right now? Can we have a can we have something like that? He doesn't need to be on the field, but like put him on the sideline. Let him be it's our conversation about him because he was a really smart football player. Yet yeah, he made really stupid and dumb decisions way too much. <laughs> Didn't make any sense. Again, yeah. the play against LSU in the Sugar Bowl was I mean, I, I don't know. I, I'm trying to even remember what it was now. I just he had a decision to make on whether to go for, I think, a pass catcher or Joe Burrow or but he made whatever the decision was. It was the dumbest decision of all of them and ended up committing a dumb penalty and extended a drive where Oklahoma was still kind of like they weren't going to win that game, but it was still kind of competitive ish, I think, at the time. And it totally it, it killed the drive for OU's defense and gave LSU more life. And anyways, that game was like five years ago. So who cares? I, I could be wrong in terms of the scoring margin at this point. Somebody can go back and tell me that I'm wrong. But I I remember thinking there was that play where Kenneth Murray was chasing down Joe Burrow towards the sideline. And then I think he got tweaked sniped. the hamstring. Yeah, he got yeah. sniped. And at that point, I remember thinking like, oh my God, we're going to get a sack. At that point, it could have it could have been interesting at least for a little bit, you know, but Joe Burrow and that receiving core had other plans and it just, yeah. you know, oh, it just wasn't OU's day. Um, the last <laughs> last thing I wanted to put on here, guys, um, NCAA 25. I mean, Lee, you and you and Grant had the definitive conversation about it because Grant is apparently like all over Reddit threads about video games. He was bringing up shit I had I had no idea about. So. Go listen to that one, guys. West of Everest, or that latest West of Everest, or what was it? Two episodes ago, I can't remember. But uh, Matt, is this something you're looking forward to? Because I'll admit, I'm thinking about getting an Xbox partly because of NCAA, but partly because I've been watching that shitty Halo show on <laughs> Paramount Plus, and it's done a bad job of like engaging me in the story, but it did a great job of like me remembering that I used to love playing Halo and I'm like, well, if I'm going to get NCAA, I might as well get Xbox so that I can play Halo and then force my girlfriend to play and watch her like scream and run away from fighting because she just <laughs> hates doing it. So um, yeah, probably I'll probably end up getting it, but it's not something that I'm like, like in terms of NCAA, it's not something where I'm like, oh, I cannot wait. I cannot wait to play Dynasty mode again. Like when I was 13. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait for all of that. Dynasty mode, all of it, man. Nothing really hits as much as landing like a four-star outside linebacker that you really needed from like Kentucky <laughs> or somebody. Like there, nothing nothing really hits like that. Now, I'm still holding out hope that uh, it, it releases on PC. So I, I've given away Xbox, you know, all that stuff. Just game on PC now. But I am going to start setting aside a solid chunk of money in case I need to buy an Xbox or PS5. Because... I love that game. I still have my Xbox 360s. I still play NCA 14, NCA 13 all the time. So I cannot wait. You might have to air, ask Erica nicely. Yeah, I have to run that by her first. Absolutely. You need to, you need to write a list of pros, the pros yeah. of getting a PS5 and or Xbox. Yeah, the pros. I will leave you alone more. Like, uh, <laughs> Lee, Lee, what was the deepest you ever got into Dynasty mode? Yeah, I don't even remember. I might best dynasty mode memory is probably when I was in college, a buddy of mine, we, we played together. We, who were we? I think we were Georgia tech and I played quarterback. You run in the option with that, that Georgia running, tech running the option. Yeah. yeah and I played like safety too. And we, we did that and had some fun with that, but I don't think we got too far. The thing with 
with that game. And this is, and I didn't get a chance to go into this on my podcast because I got distracted. I enjoy the simulation of these types of games, these sports games. And this is back when I had way too much time on my hands. I don't play video games anymore, which you might think that's crazy when I tell you this next story. I would literally go in and instantly football. And of course, you get all the rosters right. I would go through and do what I could to make sure, like when the college football season began, like week one, I would make every single outcome in real life happen in the game. And because I, I, I wanted to see what the Sports Illustrated and ESPN, the magazine, the cover art would be and like who would be that the lead story. And I want to see how accurate the game could be compared to real life rankings and stuff. Man, it took a ton of time, obviously, because I was a psychopath and was in high school and college and had plenty of time. Uh, so, yeah, there's if I got this game now, like I, I it'd probably be a bad idea because then I would I'd probably get fired. Uh, <laughs> I like. So I, I'm probably not going to get the game, but I'll listen to what you guys say or what my brother says, because he'll get it and he'll tell me all about it. And if it's really cool. Yeah, I don't know. I might have to think about buying a, a system. I think I'd get a PS5 because then that way, then you could also buy the show, the baseball game, which I think is still only on PlayStation. Let's say gone to Xbox. I don't think because I the show was always fun to play, too. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of my my main NCAA football memories and in, in trying to simulate the entire and it, the game was never very accurate. I remember I did last thing. I it was the year that App State beat Michigan. And I remember doing that thing like, oh, how, how far are they going to drop Michigan or they they barely dropped Michigan. Like, I think that season Michigan ended up winning, I don't know, seven or eight, maybe nine games. But like Michigan yeah. in the video game was still very, very highly rated. And it was very unrealistic because <laughs> in real life, Michigan dropped very far and was irrelevant, you know, halfway through the year. So I remember that way too fondly for some reason. Now, the 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 game that I had the most attachment to probably was NCAA 06. And I, th- I think that's the one with Reggie Bush on it. And I played the hell out of that one because that was Adrian Peterson's final year at OU. And he was like a 98 overall. Like he was just an unstoppable force of nature, much like he was in, you know, real life. Um, the funniest thing. And I have this, I have this memory because at the time I was living in Idaho. So I would have been a freshman in high school. And me and my, I also had a friend that we were playing dynasty mode together and we were playing as OU and it got to a point where he kind of got bored with it. He was a Miami fan, like a hurricane fan and he got kind of bored with it. So I just kind of took the reins and ran it by myself. And I was three or four years into dynasty mode at this point. And I would do kind of the same thing. Like I would not necessarily get all the, the results the way that they played out in real life, but I would just recruit, I would get the rosters set up. I would play one game and then I would auto sim the rest of the season and I would get happier mad if OU simulated to lose a game. But I was about three or four years into this. So remember, this is from the 06 season or NCAA 07, excuse me. So this is from the the 2006 season. So I'm three or four years into it. And I played my one game in the 2008 or 2009 season. And my impact player, and at the time, you remember you had like the player that had the little star icon on at his feet. My impact player on defense, I'm not kidding, was Brandon fucking Crow. And so in real life, fast forward to actual 2008, actual OU Texas game, Ryan Reynolds goes down, 
and then I hear the name Brandon Crow is ba- is coming off the bench to be you know, like spell Ryan Reynolds. And I'm like, where have I heard that name before? I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah. He, he oh yeah, like I played him on a video game. He he's probably good. Oh boy. Unfortunately, wow. the rest is history. But yeah, I, I will never forget that video game fact that for about a few week period that I'm deep into fantasy dynasty mode make believe time. And I'm like, Brandon Crow is that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Where was he? So we're from? learning that the, the game, not very, not very realistic. If you sim it out, it does not project very well. Where was Brandon Crow from? Bless his heart. Comanche. Hashtag. Okay. Preps Lee. You're free, man. Thank you for uh, stepping in on short notice. Yeah, hey, thanks for the invite. Happy to help out. It was fun. Of course. Um, you guys already recorded a you guys recorded an episode a little bit early in this past week. So when can we expect a new West of Everest podcast? We're trying to to get them out every Sunday. Uh, so we record on Sundays and uh, our most recent one came out, I guess, a couple of days ago last Sunday. And uh so we'll we're trying to go, you know, every week and if something comes up and we gotta delay it, we will or pause it. That's the the freedom we have with being a free podcast <laughs> I, that that's like actually a, a big reason why I wanted to keep, I mean, not that I was ever really looking to go to Patreon or Substack or something like that. I mean, it'd be, I, I like having the freedom of knowing that, you know what, if we don't show up for a while, at least it's free. So, but this off season, we're trying to do a lot more and I have a, a an idea, at least an idea of a, of a bit segment that hopefully I can debut in a couple of weeks with a, another one of my friends that has never been on the show, but, certainly has a lot of football opinions and takes on Oklahoma and, and other you know, college and NFL. So we're going to try it out and see if it's interesting. So look forward to that in the next couple of weeks. Is this the friend that has a strong opinion about Brent Menables? Yes. Oh, yes. I can't wait for that one. <laughs> Very much so. Nice. Matt, back to the asylum for you. Yep. Off to the Thunderdome, AKA Paycom center. Oh man. Yep. Oh, is that a home game? Yep. The hell are you doing here? 9 p.m. Starts oh. at 9 p.m. It's that 9 o'clock TNT tip, Brady. Yep. Oh, my God. I can't remit. I can't. I know. I know I covered one Thunder game, at least um, uh, one home game that was that late. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I know. I thought so. Good. I thought I was like, I'm not why a are coffee they- drinker, but I might start tonight. You told me it was a you know a midnight post game show, and I'm like, why are they playing on the road in Houston? At, <laughs> like like it's on the West Coast. Even worse, it's here. <laughs> we'll drive safe, um, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Through the Keyhole. As always, we appreciate you. Um, we appreciate you, even if you don't um, check out the Patreon page. Um, we just appreciate people listening and sharing along. So if you haven't, please uh, share, retweet, whatever. Um, the podcast will appreciate that. And of course, to our patrons, patreon.com slash through the keyhole. Thank you all for your support. Um, makes it a lot more fun to do these shows. We appreciate that as always, but for the, um, the absent, but we'll be returning either this weekend or, you know, next week for the free pod for uh, Peyton Guthrie, Alan Kenny, and the uh, guest host, Lee Benson. And of course the lovely Matt Burton and myself, Brady Trantham. Thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Boomer!